Amen. Good morning. You guys have all been there, the group photo, when four out of the five people get it right, and that one person is left, one person is left standing there like, Arr! and you're like, come on, man, it was one, two, three, smile, and they just, they couldn't do it. And weddings especially are notorious because you do more group photos at a wedding than pretty much at any other time. And there's just that one person who just can't make the photo work. Well, I had a unique privilege one time to be not that person at a wedding. I think I was the most consistently like photo appropriate person that entire day. This is what I look like. Yeah. I got to be Darth Vader at a Star Wars themed wedding. By far the funnest and only themed wedding I ever went to. But I felt like I just looked good in every single picture I was in. And you know, there's something about donning the mask that just kind of makes you want to go up to people and just... And you're like, wait, I'm, I'm trying to force choke somebody? What is wrong with me? And then, of course, when the large family comes dressed as stormtroopers, you just welcome everybody to the dark side. But I'm not necessarily unique in, in being somebody whose actions change depending on the clothing that I wear. I know a little kid who got Batman pajamas for Christmas. And it just makes you want to behave like a superhero or at least strike a dramatic pose. Now, many of you guys, I would say probably all of you guys are familiar with the story of Cinderella. Whether it's the Disney version, Brothers Grimm, uh, whatever, the story of a, of a young girl whose life is terrible, who, whose father got remarried and her stepmom and her stepsisters are abusive and oppressive. <laughs> They've turned her essentially into the household slave. And, and her life is awful. And then all of a sudden, as the story continues, hope is set out. Hope of a, a ball, a party that the prince of the realm is throwing and every young lady can attend with the hopes of maybe meeting the prince, marrying the prince, and living happily ever after. There's just one problem, is that you have to come dressed for the party. And Cinderella has no clothes to get in. And try as she might, there is nothing that she can do to be dressed enough to gain entrance into that party. And she's stuck unless someone else can give her the right clothes. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like Cinderella there. If you've ever felt that there was something that you needed to get into the good life that you didn't have, whether it was like a, a a credential, a certificate, uh, maybe actually the like nice clothes to get into the party. Or, or maybe, maybe the clothing isn't external that you need, and maybe the clothing is internal. And we might be wondering, why am I talking about Cinderella when we're supposed to be talking about Isaiah? But loosely, I mean, bear with me, that's kind of the situation we find ourselves here in the end of Isaiah. And we're going to be in chapter 61 this morning, but chapter 61 is kind of the punchline. It's kind of the, the turning point in the story. And so to get the rest of, you know, the lead up, we're going to go back and I'm briefly going to summarize 58, 59, and 60. 
See, chapter 58 of Isaiah, it's pretty famous. It's a, it's a chapter about fasting, about a spiritual discipline that God's people would do where they deny themselves food and, and fast and, and grieve. Only the people of Israel are doing it and they're complaining against God. And they're saying, you're not paying attention to us. And God's response is, of course I'm not paying attention to you because you're not fasting for me. You're fasting for yourselves. And on the day of your fast, you're pressing your workers. You're mistreating one another. That's not the kind of fast I want. The kind of fast I want is do justice. Clothe the naked. Go feed the hungry. Go set the captives free. And if you do, let me just describe the good things that I have in store for you. The, the kingdom that I'm going to bring, the way I'm going to establish you and bless you and rescue you. And it's almost like God is saying, I have this huge party that I would love to bring you into. But you've got to do justice to get into it. If you only had a genuine relationship with God and, and genuine care for God and the oppressed, then all sorts of blessings would come your way. Problem is, that you don't. Chapter 59. You don't, and actually your sins have separated you from God. And your works, these things that you do, they will not serve as clothing. And you look for justice, and you look for salvation, and you look for righteousness, and all these things are, are far off. And you can't get there. There's no one who's doing justice. There's no one who's bringing salvation for God's people. There's a party that's, that's there, that's available, and you can't come because you're not dressed right. And, and it's a hopeless and dire, sad situation. And then something amazing happens. God takes a look around and sees that there is no one who can bring justice. Like universally, humanity has failed, we have fallen, we have backslidden. All we like stupid sheep have just wandered around going our own way. And so God says, I need to do something about this personally. And so God comes to bring justice, like a divine warrior. He's going to do it himself. He's strapping on righteous armor, like righteousness as a breastplate, helmet like a salvation, vengeance like a cloak. And he shows up to bring justice for his people who can't do it for themselves. And he promises at the end of chapter 59 that he's sending a redeemer. A redeemer is going to come to Zion to save God's people, those who repent, and there will be a new covenant. And one day God's going to put his spirit and his words inside his people. From generation to generation, they're going to be the kind of people they've always meant to be. So he had a conflict. Like if you would do justice, you could go to the party, but you can't. So I guess I'm going to have to do it for you. And so God shows up to bring justice about on behalf of his people. And then we get to chapter 60. And chapter 60 is like, whoa! When God accomplishes for his people what they cannot do for themselves, things are going to be really good. Like Portland morning sunshine. Like, just say it with me. Just say really good for a second. Thank you. Doesn't it feel good? Welcome to the new year. Ah, may it continue. God... God is going to do an extreme makeover Jerusalem edition. And God's people will be righteous and live in the land forever for the glory of God. They will be righteous 
Things will be good. They will get into the party that God has planned. And chapter 60 ends with, I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Like this is something God's going to do. And when it comes, it's going to come quickly. And that's the lead up this morning to chapter 61. Sorry, I'm talking quickly. I'm excited. That, <laughs> that's a lead up. But in chapter 61, someone new comes onto the scene. He's not God. He's not God's people. He's God's servant. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, of the sovereign Yahweh is on me. Like God's promise that one day God's spirit will be on his people. But here is someone who just stepped onto the scene who already has God's spirit on him ahead of time. The spirit of the sovereign Yahweh is on me because Yahweh has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Or depending on your translation, it might say, and sight to the blind. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. We could spend more time on there, but I just want to draw your, your attention to the distinction. The year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And the oil of joy, think like hair gel or something, instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, you know, big, tall, super easy to spot trees that are stately and beautiful and healthy and everyone notices of righteousness, a planting of Yahweh for the display of his splendor. What do we see? We see the Messiah, you know, the Hebrew word that means the anointed one, someone who has God's spirit on him, is going to bring about God's promised blessings to his people through his word, proclaiming good news to the poor and freedom to the captives, and his work, binding up the brokenhearted, dressing God's people in new clothes, garments of praise, garments of joy, garments of gladness and salvation. This is the guy who is going to get God's people into the party God wants to throw. He's got a new outfit for them. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and they will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. They're going to do justice once they finally look like God's people, they're going to start to act like God's people. And this picture is picked up back in chapter 58. God said, you know, if you wanted to fast and you did it justly, then you could rebuild the ancient ruins. Oh, but 59 says, but you can't. It's hopeless. None of you does justice. So God now through his servant is bringing about justice. Now, now you can actually go and mend those things that are broken around you. And strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Now, when God's servant comes and dresses you, 
Like God, you will do the things that you were always meant to do, and you will be the people you were always meant to be. Because this is the fulfillment of something we've been hoping for for a very long time. You know, go back to this guy who lived a long time ago named Abraham, and God said, through your offspring, all the nations on the world will be blessed. And you get to Exodus 19, and God tells a group of former slaves, if you guys will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. And you keep reading the story and you realize, well, because of their sin and the fact that they don't obey God and they don't keep covenant, they turned into a kingdom with priests, which is up a pretty major downgrade, if you ask me. But now because of the servant, God's people will again be priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. And instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and you will receive a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Man, those are two words we could just just sit back and enjoy for a second. Everlasting joy. And, and, and with these two words, Isaiah just reaches back through this book that we've been going through and, and draws together themes he's been building for a while in this beautiful kaleidoscope. Because in Isaiah 25, we were told that God is going to defeat death. That for God's people, they will rise from the dead. They will actually experience joy permanently. And this phrase is shown up in, in chapter 35 and 50 or 51, talking about God's people who will no longer be shamed, no longer be disgraced, no longer be in exile, no longer be, be guilty or full of sin. They will be restored and redeemed and being led back home where they can live as God's people in God's presence. And it says an everlasting joy will be on their heads. Can you imagine what everlasting joy would be like? Just wake up, look around and go, today is amazing. And tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're like, today is amazing. Like, it's not going to get boring. This is awesome. And it's coming through God's servant. Sorry, I went too far. So God's people are now going to become the people they're always meant to be. In appearance and in action. And they're finally going to do justice and love God and others and enjoy God's blessings forever. And the coolest part is the whole world is going to see it. Like everybody in the world is going to go like, dude, check them out. Look at those people. Look at how good they look. Look at how good they do. These are, well, as it says, for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. And their descendants will be known among the nations and their offsprings among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. That's really going to be saying. God has hooked them up real good. And we see that God's justice and his faithfulness, which normally we think leads to like judgment and pain, like justice is not necessarily a, a good thing, but it is now. It is. God's justice actually leads him to bless his people, to make an eternal, everlasting covenant, a, a, a relational, binding uh, agreement and, and, and vow and, 
Well, a covenant, it's a good thing with his people. And it's going to be so obvious the whole world is going to recognize it. And now we have the servant who's speaking up again. I delight greatly in Yahweh. My soul rejoices in my God because he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as a soil makes the sprout come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Yahweh will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So the Messiah is rejoicing that he looks like God. He has been dressed in God's clothes, in salvation and in righteousness. And God is making all his goodness happen so that everyone can see it. So go into your backyard, or if you're in an apartment, go to that potted plant that's by the window, and just let you put a seed in it, and you make sure the the soil's moist, and then you just leave it alone. And you don't touch it, and you wait a really long time in some cases. And all of a sudden, without you doing anything, something green is coming out of that dark earth. And it's amazing. It's this mini miracle that we just see so often has become common. But all of a sudden, one day, the world is going to look around and righteousness from out of nowhere is just going to be springing up like dandelion weeds in your lawn. It's just coming This is what God is going to do. And so if we're going to just summarize chapter 61, we just say that through word and deed, the servant of Yahweh will beautify God's suffering people for the display of Yahweh's splendor. Because the world is looking on and like, these people, dude, look at them. They look so good. God, you're amazing. And God's going to get a lot of good attention for this. So things we see, true, is he said, through his servant, God is going to fulfill his promised redemption of his people. God's servant gives what he's received from God to God's people, and the world's going to see God's character by looking at his people, that they have the family resemblance. Like one day, God's people are going to look like God. And it's this wonderful interchange where God dresses his servant like himself, garbs him in robes of righteousness and salvation, And then this servant turns around to God's people and dresses us in garments of righteousness and salvation and praise. And then the nations look at God's people, realize the servant has made them like this, and understand the nature and character of God. It's going to be fantastic. Now, thank God I live in the year 2021, and I didn't have to figure out like the, the men and women of old, who in the world are we talking about here? We know that God's servant is Jesus. And he, Jesus has made this super, super clear because we're going to go preach uh, through Luke and Acts here in a couple weeks. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, having been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist and tempted in the wilderness and full of the Spirit, goes into a synagogue, sits down, is handed the scroll of Isaiah and reads from chapter 61, before, you know, 61 actually was a thing. And he just reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he just stops there. 
telling us that, that the day of God's vengeance is, is yet for a day in the future. But right now, right now, God's party is open to everyone. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down and the eyes of everyone were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus made it really, really obvious for us. He's the one being talked about. So we might summarize chapter 61 by this. Jesus has us covered. Literally, he's got, he's got the righteousness to clothe us in. He's got the justice for us. He has the salvation. We can't get it on our own. So let's show the world what we've got. Let's be on display for the glory of God because we are a people that the Lord has indeed blessed through his servant. So let's, let's be really glad. Jesus has us covered. And Paul says that we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. There's, there's this honest reality to say, you know what, right now, well, we're not perfect. And in case you didn't know, people who are not married to me, I have a long way to go before I, yeah, don't laugh that hard. Um, but I have a long way to go before I'm going to look like Jesus. But it's a start. God says his spirit has actually come into the hearts of his people as a down payment. As a down payment. Promising what's going to come in the future. And I think chapter 61 just does such a good job showing us the reality of Yahweh's awe-inspiring justice righteousness, and salvation. These things that chapter 59 says, oh, they're just, they're beyond us. They are too far out there. None of us are good enough for that. And we realize that God is bringing it about for us. That he's going to do for us through his servant what we cannot do for ourselves. I think we should respond with humility, repentance, hope for the future, and a great desire to glorify our God. Because through word and deed, Jesus is beautifying God's suffering people for the display of God's glory. And, and I have a couple ideas for how to respond. First of all, if, if you are here this morning and you actually aren't on board with Jesus, if, if you have not chosen to follow him, if you have not personally received the salvation that God wants to offer you, or you're joining us online or listening in, then I would invite you to follow Jesus. And here's what it looks like. It looks like repentance and humility. And in chapter 57, I didn't talk about it yet. There's this amazing passage where, where God describes himself as high and holy. Like he is up there. He is separate from us. He is so far, far away. We can never touch him. We can never get to know him. He's this distant, holy God. And we are just a mess. We are like at the end of the day when you're cleaning up the house and you find this scrap of paper with a quick doodle and you're like, oh, that's not worth keeping. And you just don't think about it. You crumple it up and throw it in your trash. Like essentially that's what humanity is as a whole. God looked around. No one is doing justice. But then it says not only is God high and holy, it says, but he dwells with the lowly, the humble, and the contrite in heart. God is looking at humanity, looking for people who feel sorry for the things that they've done. We've all done the same bad things and part of the people feel bad about it and fart, 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 uh, sorry. All right, well, you're awake now. I'm glad. Okay, that stunk. We're moving on. Uh, Part of the people just don't care. 
and they'll face judgment. But to those who are grieved by their sin, God offers an invitation. God comes close to the poor and the humble and the oppressed and invites them to experience the life that he wants to give them through Jesus. And you can too, by, by just asking for forgiveness. It's free for the taking. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die on your behalf to pay for your sins. He wants to dress you in righteousness, in justice, in goodness. He has everything that you need to get into the life he wants to give you. We just have to accept it. And for those of you who have, who have followed Jesus for a while, I would invite you to choose hope this year. Because I have to confess some sin. I was reading in the scriptures and convicted that that 2020 never derailed the good plans that God had in store for his people. And I, I fell into the trap, and, and I think even from here, just fell into the trap of letting grumbling about 2020 be a thing that was okay. But the fact of the matter is, is that no economic downturn has caused the blessings and riches that God has in store for his people to go away. And, and no, no disease or pandemic has removed the fact that God is going to raise the dead and heal the nations. And, and no, no civil unrest or police brutality has removed the fact that God has promised that he is bringing justice through his son. And as his people who experience the presence of his spirit now and the hope that he has laid in store, we should be full of thanks and joy and comfort. And so I'd invite you to choose hope with me and to practice gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has done. And I think that's a good thing, to practice righteousness and to work for justice now and to enjoy God's blessings. The creator of heaven and earth, every good thing like coffee, and <laughs> that, that's like one of the top things on my list, especially this morning, uh, or, or relationships, or beauty, or art, or, or justice. Like every good thing that comes is for our enjoyment from God. And let's just tell others about it. You know, if you're, if you're here and you've been married for 11 years recently and you're celebrating your anniversary and someone's like, wow, you know, really good job, well done. Maybe you just want to stop and give credit to God because if you're here, God has been part of your relationship. And he had this idea of marriage and covenant and faithfulness and the blessings to come through it. You know, if, if people are looking into your life and you're like, you are so blessed, you're so good, like what a great person, then just tell them that God has had a hand in this and give him the credit. Like let's be on display for God's splendor and God's glory. You know, in the, the Grimm's, the Spark Notes version of the Grimm's fairy tales that I read in preparation for this morning, let's just be real honest, folks. Cinderella actually went to three parties. It was a three-day event this fall. And she got, she got a dress the first night, and the prince happened to dance with her more than any other girls. And the second night, she got an even prettier dress. And she was like the only one he was spending time with. And between, you know, and then the, like the third night, as the story goes, she got the most spectacular dress of all, you know, left. The prince was really wanting to know who this girl was, left a... a pitch trap, and that's where the glass, you know, slipper comes off on. But imagine if you were Cinderella in the story between night two and three, and you know that come at whatever time, 
Those dresses are delivered. I have no idea. Uh, whatever time that happens, you will be the best dressed person at the party. And yet currently you are in a house with an abusive stepmom, oppressive stepsisters. You're still called Cinderella cleaning up ash and soot from the fire. And if, and if you just really were honest, you are in the exact same situation you were in a week, a month, a year ago. And yet everything has changed because you have hope. Because you know that clothing is coming that's going to get you into a party that's going to change your life forever. And in a very real way, that is the truth that Jesus has offered us. The hope of salvation. The hope of righteousness. The hope of entrance into a party, a kingdom, a life that God wants to give his people forever. Once he has taken care of death and sin and justice And so we live now in the mess, in the in-between, as people who are fallen and broken and only, you know, partially there. But you know what? We can practice for the day that's coming. We we can practice justice and righteousness now. Or as Jesus said, we can do good works so that everyone can see it and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Like a little boy who has Batman pajamas and is hoping that one day the super suit is actually going to arrive. We can, we can play in the most serious sense of the word. We can practice. And maybe this morning, practicing righteousness is going to look like thanking God, repenting of sin, bringing a meal to a neighbor who's sick, giving a little bit of your stimulus check to someone who's in a far harder economic situation than you are. Uh, supporting a child overseas through Compassion International or or Clean Water or the amazing ministries that are going on by God's people around the world or or even downtown or in our neighborhood. Like, I I don't know what justice looks like. Look around yourself and if you see something broken, realize that God may have already enabled you to be able to help start mending that situation because Jesus has us covered. And so we can show the world what we've got for the glory of God, for the good of his name, and for the good of the world. We can be the people that we are always meant to be when we look like the people of God. Because Jesus has dressed us in his righteousness. He's promised us salvation. He's given us a hope. So let's trust him today and celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I rejoice that you have clothed me in garments of righteousness. Because Lord, when I look at me, I'm pretty messed up still. And yet I, I trust, Lord, in the promise of the salvation that Jesus has brought, that I can come to you no longer as a sinner, but as a son, as an inheritor of the grace of God, as one who is righteous in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for your people that they'd understand that that because of what Jesus has done, they're no longer men and women who are liars and hypocrites, who are full of shame and guilt and sin and despair and hopelessness, but that if they have chosen to follow your son, they are sons and daughters of God, beloved for Christ's sake, that you have taken all the evil and darkness that was in your people and you have rescued us from it. 
And Lord, help us to begin to live into the new reality of who you say we are. Help us to rejoice in our righteous standing before you and help us to begin to practice righteousness and justice towards those who are close to us and to the rest of the world, that we might be a people that everyone can recognize that you have dearly blessed. Lord, that you might be glorified through it. And we thank you for your son. We thank you for the one who has come and who's going to make us look like you, just like he does. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.